0: So when I think of positive leadership in my life, I think of examples where the person has had the ability to both provide clear and confident direction, as well as uh, maintain sort of a compassionate and flexible approach to their leadership style. Understanding the role of leadership as a
1: sacred position and isn't shy, but realizes that to take on that title requires that sacred relationship with the people that they lead and knowing that about them and their humility and their openness and their wholeheartedness that they lead by. It's really
2: more about being empathetic and adapting care in a work setting and providing opportunities for employees to actualize their potential by setting everyone up for success and not just certain groups of people.
3: Welcome to the Designing a Humane Future podcast. My name is Sarah Tranum, and I'm the host of this series that explores some of the most complex challenges we face and examines them through a design and systems thinking lens. The goal of the podcast is to better understand deep systemic issues and to learn about the socially innovative approaches being used to address and resolve them and that can help us design a more humane future for everyone. This is part two of a two-part episode that focuses on feminine leadership. We will continue to explore the kind of leadership model needed to navigate the challenges ahead and to help us realize a more humane future. Empathy, a space for growth, being seen and heard, support, balance, healthy boundaries, care, being open to feedback, authentic, accountable. Imagine if these ways of being became the norm for leadership at all levels of business, healthcare, education, and government. It is hard to picture the leadership failures that we've seen modeled all too often existing in a culture where leadership is rooted in empathy, care, and respect. There would be no place for abuses of power, high levels of burnout, and a lack of moral compass. Some see this not just as an ideal, but as the kind of leadership needed to take on the pressing issues we face. The Cody Institute at St. Francis Xavier University, located in Nova Scotia, hosts an online program called Feminist Leadership for Justice, Equity and Ecology that aims to inspire and empower women leaders from across the world to engage in purposeful and justice-oriented leadership. The program is geared to help women develop tools and strategies for embodying and implementing change at various levels.
4: My name is Sarika Senha. And uh, I'm a senior program teaching staff at the International Center for Women's Leadership in the Kodi International Institute, which is something that really pains me. So, a leader necessarily has to be a manager as well. And, and, you know, that's what was taught to me as a management student, which I studied from a very premier institute about, you know, how a manager can often be replaced with a leader. And I don't think the two are the same now, you know, having graduated over, you know, one and a half decade ago. So, uh, I think we have to start looking at these things very strongly, you know, the way we are usurping us from its Uh, resources, the way we thrive on I stand on your head and move ahead and very very competitive brutal economy
5: When it comes to my hope for girls and women and the connection to leadership in the future, I hope that they can feel like they don't have to fit into a certain box or act a certain type of way to be considered a leader. I hope they recognize that there are many types of leadership skills and it's not a one size fits all. When I think of different leadership styles, I sometimes think of those kind of walking ropes that kindergartners hold onto when they go on walks with their teachers. And typically in this situation, you see two types of adults. The person at the front who leads the way, and the person at the back who makes sure that everyone is holding on and is okay. And even though these are two different roles, both are important in their own ways. And it's the act of these two types of leadership styles working together that accomplishes the goal of getting all these little kids from point A to point B safely. And I hope that girls can feel comfortable being at the front leading the charge ahead, but also be acknowledged if they are the type of leaders that are leading from behind. So recognizing that whatever style fits best, given the situation, and also the the needs of the team around you.
3: By continuing to narrowly define leadership, using evaluation and other metrics that still skew towards a masculine style of management, we will continue to leave women out of the upper levels of organizations. An important way forward is helping women define the kinds of leaders they need to be and the way they need to help organizations thrive instead of trying to conform to roles defined by men. To do this, women, and especially girls at early stages in their development, need to be given the opportunity to develop their unique voices and explore ways to lead rooted in their values. As Barb discusses, Girls Inc. is committed to helping girls and young women gain confidence and get the support they need to develop leadership skills that reflect their authentic selves.
6: We run a variety of programs to serve girls from age 6 to 18. Those programs include learning about literacy, learning about social media, healthy body image, learning about financial literacy, We do focus a lot on STEM and making STEM fun, which is science, technology, engineering, and math. We also encourage girls to find their voice, to talk about those hard topics that they are concerned about. We also let the girls learn about voting and the effect that their vote will have. We also get them to try some sports and things that they might not have ever tried, like sailing, canoeing, horseback riding, rock climbing, trying some non-traditional sports to help build their self-confidence. We also go into schools and do some anti-bullying. We encourage and build their self-esteem. We talk about setting boundaries and healthy sexuality at all ages. So, of course, the programs are modified depending on the age of, of the girls. And we also run leadership and training programs.
3: Part of redefining leadership to better encompass and value women and gender diverse people is understanding the different ways people are already leading, both inside and outside of organizations. Karen and Steph from Inga Company discuss those who are already leading and the need to recognize and value this work
7: where are you becoming a leader? How is your leadership being fostered or cared for? Or where are you learning? You know what I mean? I think if you if there's certain environments that I would never want to be a leader in, <laughs> I'd be too scared <laughs> to like take up that role or be like, oh, that, those aren't values or um, ways of doing that I would want to duplicate or continue to put out in the world. So I think also, you know, depending on where you've been kind of I'm using quotation marks here, but like where, they, where you've been trained as a leader as well, you might then step into another place and have to unlearn a lot of really harmful behaviors and relearn different ways of doing, even if you've already been in a leadership position before. So I think there's also that like where your first opportunity into leadership or where you continue to grow in leadership and the environment that you're in and how that contributes to your leadership style is also really important. And unfortunately, I think for women and for a lot of gender-diverse folks and racialized folks and you know different folks that live with all of these oppressions on the day-to-day, we don't really get to pick and choose. I don't get to decide where I want to be a leader. A lot of those times, those opportunities either aren't offered to me or people will look at me, you know, I'm a Black woman, might look at me and be like, oh, well, you speak this way, you look this way, and maybe this is not the image that we want you to have. So I might be forced to, occupy a leadership role where it's the only opportunity that I can have in a space where I already know that I'm coming in with all of these different things against me so I need to overperform. I need to make sure that I'm you know similar in style or in leadership style even if it might not be the style I want to create or give out but I have to maybe make it similar to what I see around me to either keep my job or to feel like I belong or to feel validated in the role that I do so I think also thinking about where are we fostering opportunities for leadership and what does that mean and what what do those cultures look like is also a really big part of the conversation. And, you know, if certain folks only have opportunities in certain areas, then for sure that's going to affect how they choose to lead or what they're learning in terms of ways to lead. And I think that's something that we need to be mindful of as well.
3: Women lead every day, but often in ways that go unseen. Sarika discusses the importance of understanding intrinsic power as part of the work to fully recognize and amplify the impact of those women who are already leading in the private sphere and to give voice and opportunity for more women to lead in public life.
4: I think one of the things that I have felt when I've interacted with them after the course is a greater consciousness around power. So, which means sharing power or uh, generating equal opportunities for people. They're looking at the dimensions of power, not just in the public sphere. So, while we know that, you know, what spaces are these public spheres, but also encouraging people to look at it in the private sphere and in the intimate sphere, which is me looking at my own self. And unless we begin to look at our own self, which is the school of feminist leadership, there is a tenet of feminism which is personal is political. It, it says that, you know, I cannot be a very democratic leader in workspace and then go back home and be a very, very power centric person, which often happens. So, how does one challenge these visible, hidden, and invisible power is something that, that I've seen a lot of these leaders do.
2: An example of positive leadership that I've experienced is really beyond, you know, a leader that is great at what they do uh, in terms of providing strategic direction and advice to solving problems. It's really more about being empathetic and adapting care in a work setting and providing opportunities for employees to actualize their potential by setting everyone up for success and not just certain groups of people. I've had leaders create a nurturing environment for learning and development that is based on collaboration, respect, and mutual feedback, and not one that is hostile, cutthroat, and competitive, which is unfortunately the environment that I've uh, worked in most of my career. The future of work will constantly evolve, and good leaders need to have the foresight to anticipate change, understand how these changes could impact different groups of employees, especially women and equity-deserving groups, and leaders also need to be self-aware and have humility to seek feedback to understand how they can better support employees as our external environment changes.
5: For positive leadership experiences, I tend to think of leaders I've had in the past who've been approachable and created warm welcoming environments, I tended to be more on the introspective side, especially in larger team settings. And I've always appreciated leaders who have taken me aside in the past to kind of check up on me and see where my voice fits into the conversation. And that's something I try to emulate in my own leadership style. I pay attention to things that may be a little more invisible or not as obvious, and also try to approach with understanding and, and openness. I've also had positive leadership experiences with individuals who support opportunities for growth, recognizing that things won't always be perfect the first time right away, and to give space and time to iterate, understand that learning can be a process of trial and error, and to account for that as part of the process for growth.
3: Much of the research on the most effective ways to lead underscores the need for approaches that very much align with feminine characteristics that encompass empathy, support, and community building. Transformational leadership is based on building trust and confidence within a team, in contrast to more conventional transactional leadership that uses reward and punishment tactics in response to subordinates' performance. Studies have shown that women are more transformational leaders than men, relying more on emotional intelligence to create connections that move beyond people's individual interests to foster collaborative spaces and a shared vision. Transformational leadership has been shown to facilitate more innovative organizations. Brene Brown's work on vulnerability emphasizes the importance of leaders tapping into emotional intelligence and how they relate to themselves and their teams. She discusses the courage it takes to disengage the ego and points to the payoff for connecting more authentically and wholeheartedly. Through her work with thousands of leaders, she has documented how leading this way creates healthier, more inclusive organizations where productivity, creativity, and profitability thrive. Creating workplaces that value equity, collaboration, and respect is not just good, it's good for business. InGood Company is currently focusing on small and medium-sized companies and helping them to build flourishing workplaces that ensure female and gender-diverse people are welcomed, supported, and have opportunities to be recognized leaders.
7: More specifically, especially this year, we really want to work with small medium enterprises across Canada. Some of the reasons that we're seeing why they might not be taking up diversity and inclusion practices, sometimes it's the fact that they have a small team. And assume that these issues do not apply to them. Sometimes diversity only relates to an HR function when, in fact, it relates to all employees. So, still, sometimes with small, medium enterprises, if they don't have like a dedicated person kind of working on this and taking this on, then it's something that could be forgotten or either put on the back burner or put as something that will be worked on later because there's so many other priorities. Other things that I've seen or read in terms of barriers are that diversity and inclusion only matters when recruiting. When we know that it's far beyond just recruitment, it's also about retaining, empowering, engaging. So really working alongside different small medium enterprises to really give them the tools, the resources and ideas on how to be able to not only attract different groups of women and gender diverse folks, but also make sure that they're empowered once they step into the workplace. Other barriers also is that some folks might think that diversity management takes time and resources or that it does not impact business or that
8: it's a complex subject requiring a complex response. The workplaces themselves, there's a lot of work to be done. One thing that we hear from the organizations that we support who are directly doing job training for for women to enter these fields is that access to jobs and career advancement often comes from having strong personal connections. And that means that employers really need to rethink their hiring processes and go beyond their inner circles if they're serious about hiring differently and supporting those folks once they're hired and there's lots of ways that they can do this they can reach diverse women and gender diverse people where they are in their communities connect with community organizations find out what's going on make sure that the right places have the right job postings etc there's lots of practical things that they can do
3: So much of our society is still driven by competition and the notion of individual achievement as paramount. Survival of the fittest, being the best, the rush to be first, whether it was a generation shaped by the space race or those who idolized the likes of modern-day robber barons like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, these narratives continue to power our economy, to shape our society, and by extension, our organizations and workplaces. But we also know that any great discovery, advancement, or breakthrough in our understanding of our world has been the result of the work of not one, but many. Collaboration, not competition, has allowed us to survive, and collaboration will be critical to ensuring we can all flourish going forward. We are clearer now than ever before that the ability to work together and pull the best from many different people with different abilities and perspectives will help redefine our organizations, our leaders, and how we fare in the decades ahead. Girls Inc. is teaching girls the types of skills the leaders of tomorrow will need, qualities like the ability to work together. Having run three not-for-profits,
6: in the last 20 years. Ultimately, I think it's extremely important to be kind. And I don't know if kindness figures in in a male perspective, but it definitely for female leadership and for myself, I think kindness is incredibly important. I think you need to be cooperative. You need to be open to other opinions. Ultimately, you do have to make decisions that not everybody's going to love. But there's a way to do it to be cooperative, to be supportive to your team. As you mentioned, empathetic. These characteristics, I think, are going to take the world a lot farther than a lot of those male-dominant or traditionally masculine characteristics.
3: Not only do girls and women benefit from valuing empathy and collaboration in the ways we work and lead, it benefits boys and men too. Data points to the ways boys and men are struggling. A recent UNESCO report shows that male students are at greater risk of falling behind in school or dropping out than female students in many countries around the globe. While female students confront more barriers to access education, male students are having a harder time completing school. Poverty and child labor are two major reasons. For every 100 female students pursuing higher education around the world, 88 male students are enrolled. This aligns with research by Richard Reeves in his recent book of Boys and Men, Why the Modern Male is Struggling. He points to the serious reduction in academic achievement, declining wages and employment, poor health, and increasing deaths of despair, which are nearly three times higher for men as for women. He discusses the ways men in the U.S. are being impacted by a global economy shaped by automation, outsourcing, and exploitation. The current paradigm, a patriarchal system that places more value on dominance and competition than on mutual respect and cooperation, isn't working for most people. It is far more harmful than helpful to us moving collectively forward towards a more just and sustaining world. We are also coming to understand that the prevailing notions about the role of competition in the natural world are wrong. Ecologist Susan Samard's decades-long research to understand the way trees work in cooperation to support forest ecosystems is changing outdated ideas about how species survive. Reading Samard's work and the work of others inspired by her research, it is easy to see the connections between the way healthy forests survive through interdependence and how humans and communities can flourish when working together for mutual benefit. It seems no coincidence that this way of thinking and seeing an interconnected world, whether from the perspective of trees or animals or people, is happening at the same time and at a pivotal point in our path towards cataclysmic climate change.
2: Visions of feminine leadership based on principles of care, sustainability, collaboration, and empathy could transform capitalism into a more sustainable model that ultimately puts people first. This more equitable and flourishing future means that everyone will get a better opportunity to actualize and that employee well-being will be prioritized. This could radically eliminate structures of economic exploitation and instead focus on metrics of deep well-being.
3: Scholar Jean Lipman Blumen discusses the need for connective leadership to meet the social, economic, and environmental challenges that lie ahead in an interconnected world. Building from transformational and ethical leadership frameworks, connective leadership focuses on the linkages amongst diverse individuals and groups that are forged by technology and social media and by the tension between the drive for both interdependence and diversity. Various leadership frameworks point to the need and opportunity for other ways to lead beyond hierarchical conventional models. However, without a change in the valuation of women and men and the characteristics traditionally associated with them, we will not be able to move forward. A meta-analysis of research on the gender leadership gap shows that while the gap is slowly narrowing and women are increasingly seen as more leader-like, eugenic traits associated with men are still highly valued and communal traits connected with women are seen as detrimental to emerging into leadership roles. There is still more work to be done.
0: I definitely want to see more girls and women in leadership and embracing their individual leadership style, whatever that may be. And I want to see progress from an intersectional perspective. I myself am white. I'm speaking from a place of a lot of privilege. And I know my experience is not the experience of many other women who you know, maybe BIPOC, 2SLGBTQ+, disabled, or in some other way, marginalized. So I think that's a a really important piece that needs to continue to be talked about in all the conversations to consider the diverse needs and perspectives and to make sure progress is happening for all girls and women. I also really hope girls and women embrace leadership more. I think we've not only been actively excluded in the past, but have also shied away from leadership because it has been so tied to these masculine characteristics. So it's either asked us to behave in a way that's not aligned with who we are, or it's alienated us because we didn't see another path. So I'd like to see girls and women embracing the feminine leadership characteristics, if that's their natural approach and pursuing leadership roles with confidence and compassion and not being apologetic for it. And I want to see boys growing up seeing other options for leadership approaches. I want them to to see girls and women and gender diverse people in those leadership roles and be comfortable taking direction from them as they would from male leaders. I want to see feminine leadership normalized. That's not only welcomed, but a highly valued form of leadership. And I want girls and women to feel like they can lead with strength and pride with those characteristics.
3: Just as gender is being more understood and accepted not as a binary, but as a spectrum, so too do we need to bring this into how we see leadership. We are neither just feminine nor masculine. When in balance, we bring both into how we understand ourselves and others. We need a new way to lead and to be led that encompasses and values all sides of ourselves, but no longer devalues the feminine characteristics that have been missing for too long in leadership and are so now needed. Leaning into the feminine is the answer to navigating a future full of complexity and doing so with strength rooted in humility and empathy instead of brute force. All of us have to be respectful towards diversity and we have to
4: look at inclusion and we have to have tolerance if we want to go ahead and make this
8: future a a better place. It's more of a worldview, and and if that idea of intersectional feminism thought and approaches. If that's showing up in how people understand leadership, then it's probably showing up in how they think about other issues. If it were to be taken up broadly, then as you say, I think diverse women, trans, non-binary people would be far more visible as well in decision-making roles. Those communities would benefit significantly from the increased attention and action, really, to address the root causes of the marginalization that they experience. And I keep using the term of collective care, but I think it would really refocus us on collective care and away from this sort of individual advancement e- approach that we have. All of this sounds a little utopic, but it is really what feminist thinkers, especially black and racialized feminist thinkers, have been working on for ages. So this is not these are not new ideas or new visions, but it, it's certainly something that we have to continually work towards.
3: The pandemic has shaped the way we work and need to lead. It has made people reevaluate their lives and relationship to work. Labor shortages across industries and the phenomenon of quiet quitting point to the seismic shift in the world of work that will keep evolving. Flexible, remote, and hybrid work are here to stay. Employers that value well-being and care will continue to thrive. As this new way of working continues to unfold, now is the time for a new way to lead that centers on a feminine way of being and seeing. Feminine leadership is ensuring everyone in the room is heard and seen. It is creating space for others to learn, stretch, and make mistakes without fear. It is ensuring that care, health, and respect are paramount, and that cooperation is valued above competition. It is providing support to help others be their best selves. It is championing true innovation that raises all boats and doesn't just disrupt and destroy. It is redefining business and understanding that good ethics equals good business. It is walking the talk to ensure that well-being and accountability take precedent over the drive for growth and profit. Feminine leadership is understanding that there is a time and place for hierarchy and healthy competition, but that these do not define success. It is being honest, clear, decisive, and pulling strength not from ego, but from being part of something bigger than yourself. It is being vulnerable. It is knowing that you don't know everything and can reach out to others to find the answers together. This needs to become the new model of leadership, which is embraced, valued, and practiced by all genders. So how do we get there? For parents, caregivers, teachers, coaches, and other role models, providing spaces for girls to build their confidence and to have the support to lead is critical. Helping girls find their own unique voices and ways of leading that connect with their values at home, in school, in the field, And without the push to conform to nearly defined leadership traits, often modeled by men, can shape the next generation of leaders.
6: Our staff are wonderful role models, and they model those behaviors that we would like to build in the girls. And they're also open to discussion. They talk to the girls one-on-one. They build that relationship of a strong mentor who's able to help support and guide the girls along the way. And often we are in the girls' lives for four or five years, and then they continue on to be a leader in training and a junior leader. And many are then hired later on in our summer camp or as a volunteer. We just interviewed a young woman who's finishing up her master's in counseling psychology and she was a girls inc girl in grade four and she just loved it so much she wanted to reconnect back with us we have that kind of impact and she said the reason she chose counseling psychology is because she wanted to have that kind of impact on a young girl that girls inc had on her
3: It is also critical to teach boys to embrace their own inherent feminine qualities of empathy and care and to help them build emotional intelligence. Moving away from the boys will be boys adage as an excuse for aggression and violence and the acceptance of dominating behaviors will help them grow into men who value feminine qualities in themselves and in others and embrace following women and gender diverse leaders.
1: Create a future where the leadership is a healthy balance, inclusive of these spectrums. And some people will definitely veer more one side than the other, but that we'd create teams that work in harmony and that you're not just promoted to these Topper echelons because you possess these masculine traits, but because we know that at all levels we actually need a balance of both. So to really decouple like gender and traits, masculine femininity, and really start to realize as we adopt more of a nuanced, complex spectrum view, what is a virtuous cycle look like? What is flourishing and interconnected and more of a holistic view? lets people, their mind, their body, their hearts be seen and heard and have value beyond just GPAs, titles, and kind of really traditional, dominant, classic masculine markers of success.
3: For organizations, it's not just recruiting more women and gender-diverse employees. It is ensuring that the workplace culture truly embraces diversity and provide opportunities for growth. The LeanIn.org Mackenzie Report points to the need for allyship in workplaces. Being an ally means going beyond just speaking up if you see something unfair. It is advocating for more advancement opportunities and getting directly involved in mentorship for women, especially for women of color, women with disabilities, and lesbian, bi, and trans women. The work doesn't stop when women are in leadership positions. As In Good Company talks about, training and support to further build out leadership skills are critical. No leader can be expected to be an expert on all things and needs to be set up for success. Organizations need to recognize the emotional work and leadership already being modeled by women in the workplace. Evaluations and performance reviews should capture the full spectrum of what employees, especially women, bring to work and be tied directly to increased pay and advancement opportunities, including leadership pipelines. Without a shift to fully valuing the contributions of women and gender-diverse people, workplaces will continue to be labyrinths. Full of barriers to navigate, and the gap between women and men in leadership will never close. Without understanding and embracing the importance of feminine qualities of care, empathy, and collaboration in how we live, work, and lead, the status quo will continue to the detriment of us all.
7: I think for me, when I think of leadership and how it might show up in the world, I would really love to see people just come with their full selves into the leadership role. I think if we're able to create spaces where folks don't feel that they need to whitewash their language or straighten their hair or wear a suit to seem serious or to feel like they can't just show up with their lived experience you know and also with care and compassion and that if they show up that way they won't be taken seriously I think for me it's like a it's how to be human also just humanity and rapport with each other like human to human connection how I'd like to see leadership show up in the world is just to see people show up with everything that they are and not feel that they have to leave certain parts out to be considered a leader or viewed as a leader or viewed more serious or more knowledgeable than than someone else.
3: As Czech writer and politician Václav Havel stated, something is on the way out and something else is painfully being born. For many of us, we are trying to usher in the new, a future in which all aspects of ourselves are valued and the feminine qualities that we need to create a kinder, safer world are no longer pushed aside and devalued. Now is the time, as we face greater threats than ever to our democracies, economic stability, physical safety, and the environment, to recenter the feminine within each of us and to champion leadership that will bravely guide the way with empathy, care, and humanity. Embracing feminine leadership is pivotal to transitioning us to humane capitalism, a kinder, more equitable economic model, and to designing a humane future where all people and the planet can flourish. Thank you to the mothers, grandmothers, sisters, aunts, daughters, partners, friends, teachers, and mentors who exemplify leadership every day, often in quiet ways, supporting, nurturing, caring, healing, and making the world better. Let their examples define compassionate, wholehearted leadership that will guide us forward. Thank you to the women interviewed for this two-part episode, for sharing your time, expertise, and for your work to ensure the voices of girls and women are heard and amplified in homes, classrooms, boardrooms, and communities across Canada and beyond. Thank you to Leslie Corbet, who assisted in the editing and production of this episode, and to Alexander Burton, who contributed to the research for this podcast series. To learn more about those interviewed, follow the links included in this episode's description. Thank you for listening to the Designing a Humane Future podcast. Be sure to subscribe to listen to upcoming episodes in this series. Take care and be well.